Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week we'll take a look inside the working day of debut Australian literary sensation Trent Dalton. His novel Boy Swallows Universe, it won the Debut Fiction Award and the Book of the Year at the Australian Indie Awards. It went straight into the top ten, it sold over 100,000 copies and you can hear how he wrote it. We'll talk about why he's been sitting on this book for a few years, waiting to finally get the experience and the skill and almost really the courage to be able to tell it. We'll also get a lot of detail, I mean a lot of detail, about all aspects of his writing routine. And you can hear why his work as a journalist helped him with the snappy part of his writing. Keep your stories contained. The best stories can be summed up in three words. You know, man conquers moon then you should be able to sum your life up in three words if you thought about it, you know, because that would mean that you've led a big and grand life, you know, and, and it's sort of, I love that notion. So stay there, it's all on the way in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, hello, thanks for coming along. This is Writer's Routine. Uh, my name's Dan Simpson. It's the show where we take a, a sneak peek inside the working day of some of the most successful authors around to try and steal some of the snippets of their writing life. Now, if you've been binging the show recently, and I have noticed that quite a few people have from all over the world, which is amazing, but if that is you, if you've heard quite a lot in the last few days, and if you want to say thanks for that, uh, remember the easiest way is to leave the show a review over on Apple Podcasts, find Writer's Routine on there, uh, drop a few words and let us know what you think. Five stars is always very helpful with that chart as well. It lets other people know who we are, what we do, and maybe they can get some of the writing advice that they need to tell their story. Also subscribe wherever you're listening to the show. If that is Spotify, if it's on Acast, on Radio Public, if it's on Apple as well, uh, subscribe so that way the new episodes download automatically every week. Now, the point of the show is to take a look inside the working day of a successful author. And we've got one of the most successful ones around right now at the moment, actually. Uh, Not long-term success, but like a short burst of immense acclaim. 
Trent Dalton. Yeah, his debut novel is Boy Swallows Universe. It's literary fiction. It tells the story of Eli in Brisbane in 1983, who is kind of working through a pretty complicated family life. He's trying to not be coaxed into dealing drugs, and he's also having to save his mum, who's in prison. It won the Debut Fiction Award and the Book of the Year at the Australian Indie Awards. I've already said it went straight into the top 10, and it sold over 100,000 copies, which is a lot. If you're not really aware how many books need to be sold to make something a success, I'll I'll just say it's a lot less than 100,000 in the first few months of it being published. Now, Trent works for the Australian magazine. He's won numerous awards for his journalism as well. And you can hear how that impacted his writing, not just in the way he told his stories, but also how he needed to fit his storytelling around all the other bits of writing that he needed to do throughout the week. Now, Trent is one of those people that's just full of energy, full of enthusiasm. He's got that brilliant, casual, calm excitement that comes with being Australian, I think. I don't think I've ever met an Australian who's grumpy at all. He's the type of person that if you feel a little bit exhausted, you just want to spend a few minutes in his company and you get recharged He's kind of like a battery, the guy. I mean, he's amazing. I loved my time with him. Uh, We get right into the minutiae as well of writing routines, talking about the very specific desk that he works on, how he breaks up his day hour by hour, minute by minute. And Trent loves his family. And it seems that most of his writing is almost a battle inside himself between the story that he really wants to tell, but also wanting to spend every waking minute that he can with his family, the family that he loves so much. It's a really amazing tale of of kind of being a dad, really, Trent's story. You can find out how he manages to work through that and get his words down on a page in just a sec. Also, a quick warning, it's a little bit of a sweary one as well. It's not too bad. There are a few Fs and Jeffs floating around. So if you are in the car with your family, maybe you want to kind of, you know, keep an eye out for that, um, mute it very quickly, or just listen in your own time. Uh, we'll get a top writing tip as well from one of the biggest crime writers working today after we dive into it with Trent Dalton, the author of Boy Swallows Universe. I promise you're going to love this. And we start, as always, with what Trent sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. Oh, what a great opening question. And I love that because I'm all about objects, actually. Um, it's funny you even say that. I've, I actually believe that objects actually have stories, um, all that we carry on storytelling through objects sometimes. I've done a whole podcast. It's called The Theory of Objects that I did once. And it's all about the power of objects. And if we don't talk about the things that are around us, such as this is why I love your question, um, then we don't carry on those stories. So you need to pass a story on with an object sometime. Anyway, I've got an amazing array of objects. Um, there's all the books I love. There's there's the works of Steinbeck and Cormac McCarthy and some great Australian writers that I love. I've got a bunch of vinyl records, um, a lot of um, Springsteen, Pearl Jam, uh, a lot of alternative rock, um, a little little cup, bit of bangles in there. I love the bangles. Um, you know, a lot of deep cut kind of stuff. Um, a record player, um, and then there is a there's a DeLorean um, time machine car, and there's um, images of straight out of my head. There's usually a collage of of whatever I'm trying to write at the time. So, for the book I wrote called Boy Swallows Universe, I I put up there on this basically on a wall in front of where I write. I put up everything that evokes that era and that era that I write about in that book is 1980s uh, Brisbane, Australia. So 
I'm putting things up there like paddle pop sticks, which are like chocolate ice creams in Australia, or you'll put up a picture of in excess, or you'll put you know just anything that evokes that the spirit of that time. To my right, however, is um, you know sometimes the most important thing, which is um, basically images of the people I love. Because now I'm going to get deep on you here, mate. Sorry, but uh, it's basically. I'd sit down before I write, which is basically kind of in the rumpus area. We call it a rumpus room in Brisbane. You guys have their rumpus room? You know, your rumpus room. Yeah. And uh, it's funny because I said that in America and people are like, what the hell are you talking about? What do you call it a rumpus room? And uh, I um, would go downstairs to the rumpus room each night between 8 till 10. And it's just downstairs. And I would think about the people I love in my life. And I would think about the things, particularly these two daughters I have called Beth and Sylvie. And I'd think about them. And I think about the many courses of my life, that uh, my paths that I could have taken in my life to not have them in my lives. And that was a very powerful thing. So I'd think of them and the power of that would shoot through my fingertips. I swear to God, man, it would, I would, it would shoot through my fingertips onto the keyboard and onto the page. That was a very powerful feeling. So I try and keep pictures of them around me. And I've got this... And then I try and keep things around about my parents and people I love. So... There's a stonefish. I don't, you know, you know, you're familiar with like the stonefish. It's a very dangerous creature in Australia. You step on a stonefish, you could quite possibly die. My old man, though, uh, he he was a fisherman. He's like a sort of basically a mud crabber. He he sort of fished for mud crabs in this place called Pummiston Passage at Bribey Island, one hour's north of of Brisbane. And he's not with us, right, my old man now. But he used to have this um, stonefish that he kept in a jar of um, big big sort of like a museum like jar of preservation liquid. And on top of this jar, he wrote the words Keef, like K-E-E-F, like Keef. And uh, he was a sometimes lonely man. He lived up in this Bribey Island unit, housing commission unit, all by himself, fished, caught mud crabs, drank a bit, uh, used to smoke a lot before he stopped smoking. Um, and he'd talk to this stonefish, Keef, Keef. And he called him Keef because it reminded him a bit of Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones. He's a big Stones fan. But this stonefish has that lived-in look of Keith Richards. And, mate, it's become my prized possession. It's like, it's the thing. Oh, man, I'm getting emotional just thinking about that right now because it was this thing I, I thought, my brothers and I thought, you know what? And we put it on his um, we put it on his coffin at his funeral. And it's like this, this thing, Keith. And it's become this kind of totem now. It's this weird thing to me now. It's like I write with that thing and sometimes I keep Keith in the shed and sometimes I bring him out and I sort of just hang with him and it's like I'm hanging with my old man. It's sort of, so that's around me when I write, man. It's, it's like I really need to write from really raw, like honest, emotional places and I do whatever I can. If I need to put things around me to tap into that place, I will bloody do it. So I'm sorry. I know that's a long answer to your excellent first question. I love, I love detail and, and I love that you've set, what you're doing with that question is the thing I love doing as a writer, which is setting the scene, and it's fantastic. So, what I love about that is, you know, when we started, and you were saying you've got all these these things that jog your memory, these objects that, yeah. are, that are drawing emotions out of you. It, would I see anything aside from the, the pictures of things that are perhaps to do with your story? Is there any? structure towards the plot that surrounds you do you have a big whiteboard perhaps are there post-it notes strewn all around the walls jogging your memory telling what's coming next oh. here's what i'm writing is there any structure or is it just things to tug at your emotions no no there's structure there's there's no it, it's 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 things like let's say i i it, it's also things that appeal to me and i'm all about wonder right so I, I would have, and I've since changed. I've since changed this little collage wall because of the second book I'm writing, and um, so it's 
it's now about to be it's almost ready for a repaint you know it's really funny it's really cool that you talk because i love it because but for quite some time i'm telling you this thing was covered not just one wall it it took over my entire sort of rumpus area and you'd go down there and my wife would say Trent, that's actually going to scare some kids who are some of my kids' friends who are going to come over and stay. And it's just pictures of, sometimes it'll be a picture of like a an old 1920s um, kind of vaudeville um, or kind of, I don't know, let's call it like a freak show person or something. I put a picture like that up or I've got pictures of astronauts up there. I've got pictures of, um, you know, I've got old, old things like from World War II and things that, that inspire me. But it's just usually just novelty kind of things that, I, that inspire me and go, that are filled with story. You know, you can just look at it and go, there's a story in that. So that's what I'd sort of draw on if... Um, you know, then then I might have a picture of, let's say, I don't know, Daniel Day-Lewis as a character in a film or something. I go, that guy is kind of like this guy that I'm talking about. I will do that. I'll absolutely do that. And, um, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very powerful to have those things just to look at and remind you and go, ah, oh, that's what I'm talking about. So things that evoke feelings, you know. So this one was, uni- you know, it's universe and big. I, I wrote so ambitiously with this one. So I did have pictures of space and pictures even though it's a love story it's a suburban love story that i wrote and it's a a story about family and brotherhood and the ways you can take um you can take love anywhere a kid will take love wherever he will get it and that's you know that's kind of what i did in the real in real life but um i will put things on there that are big and expansive and ambitious so a a galaxy theme and you know the the opening page while i was writing this to my um you know the home screen to my computer to my i've just wrote this on a bloody windows surface pro can you believe that i was like this cramped little windows surface pro and the opening screen of that was basically the thing I saw in my head whenever I'd sit down to write and it was the most expansive galactic scene you've seen in your life because that is how big I wanted the book to be. I wanted it to be a story of suburban Brisbane, Australia that takes readers all the way to the edge of the universe. That was my ambition. But, uh, you know, and so it was really important each day to open that laptop and go, that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going to take readers if I can. You know, I don't know whether I may, I, you know, I reach that, but man, that's where I wanted to go. I'm so happy with the detail that you're bringing to this and it's going to make me very excited for this next answer, which is the point of the show. So okay. we're called Writer's Routine. Yeah. Talk me through yours, Trent. The moment you wake up to the moment that you go to bed on a day when you are sitting down to write... How does it work? Leave no stonefish unturned. Really nitpick at everything here. How does it look for you? Man, okay, my my book, it's so I love I love your love of details, man. I I go on about that in my book so much. There's a guy named Slim Halliday in my book and he's a real life figure from my life. He's a guy who was basically my babysitter in the 1980s. He was in his mid 70s um when when I knew him. But in the 1950s, he's very famous in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia as the Houdini of Boggo Road, right? Which was this notorious prison that you couldn't escape from. And Slim Halliday, my babysitter, uh, escaped from that prison twice in the late 1940s. And uh, he became a legend. But one thing I have Slim saying in my book, because he was all about this in, in real life, about about noting things. I have him talking about details. And if, if to a con, to a, someone in prison details are so important so he the kid in my book is always writing to prisoners and the and slim is always telling the kid eli bell the hero of my story he's always telling him make sure he's writing to this he sort of made this friend inside a prison he's writing to him and slim always says make sure you put in the details so if you're don't just write that you went down the shop yesterday to to buy some lollies 
really tell them what type of lolly it was. Was it salted caramels? Was it licorice? Was it was it uh, freckles? You know, it was like really put that detail in there. So it's like I, I, you know, it's everything I'm about. I'm, everything I'm about as a journalist is about detail. So anyway, let's begin. Let's begin the day though. Leave, Mate, as I say, go through it detail by detail. What, detail by what detail. Time do you wake up. All right, I'll wake up at six a.m. and uh, that's getting earlier because of my eldest daughter Beth has started high school and she's got this one hour kind of march into into high school so she's really responsible and she's always up well before my wife and I um I have to let's put it's it's a simple suburban home in the most kind of peaceful part of Brisbane and uh to my right is about right now uh Lonesome Dove is to my right there's a biography on Warren Beatty to my right um this is on my bedside table um and there's a whole bunch of notepads because mate my my ideas come in that beautiful mystery space between um, going fully to sleep and um, and like just going to bed and going to full, fully to sleep and then waking up and, you know, waking from sleep. You know, like th- that beautiful, you know, amazing kind of lemon light time of both sides of the day where your mind is relaxed and wonder creeps in you know true illumination and true um inspiration creeps in so i have all these notepads and i've got so many i can't even tell you i don't even know what problem with that is is that i've i I need to kind of file these things properly but i've just got random thoughts and i've like oh what about this idea what about that idea and if the thing and it's this this idea of head hours that you need to constantly be thinking about the story that you're writing and because your brain is this gift that you don't even know about. You know, I don't know anything about what is in here and it frightens me sometimes, man. I swear to God. And uh, so I'm real, but I trust it so much because it just gives me these gifts. I swear to God. And I just go, you know, that book, there's so many things in my book. This this first thing I wrote, you know, where the answers came about things I needed and you just, it's in that, it's in that moment. So I have a bunch of those notepads. Wake up. Um, I'm a wheat bix kid. Go out. Oh man, I just like I've I've I've, I've had wheat bix for like all my life. Wheat bix is like an important part of my day. You know, two two wheat bix. I've cut down from three wheat bix to to two. Um, whack a bit of honey on that, and even then, I'm thinking story. I'm trying. The biggest thing with me is to tr- make sure I'm engaging with the beautiful people around me, and not constantly in this thing here because my wife spots it a mile away. She'll she'll go. I'll be looking at her, and I have this distant look in my eyes, and she'll go you're thinking about the story, aren't you? And she's like, come back, come back here. You need to be present right now. Here's what we have to do. We've got to get, you know, and, and it's literally, my, my, my day is insane, man. It's like, um, so it's getting my kids to school. I make, I, I, I go down, first thing I iron the, I iron their clothes, I iron their school clothes, come back up, I um, fix their breakfast and they'll have either wheat bix as well or Vegemite toast. Um, I'll get ready to work myself. My day job is a journal. I write for, you know, long-form journalism for a magazine called The Weekend Australian Magazine. Um, it's an, an amazing kind of magazine, similar to, you know, like your Sunday Times magazine or something like that here. And I'll, um, you know, I'll, I'll sort of get into my, you know, outfit and all that. I'll be thinking about story that whole time. Um, then get in my car, Toyota Corolla, uh, <laughs> leave this place called The Gap and then I'll go all the way into Bowen Hills, which is the home of basically the Australian newspaper that I write for. And there, you know, you're plugging away. I'll, I'll go and work out the story that I'm doing. I write a lot about ordinary people. I'm big on just, you know, turning the, um, turning the ordinary into the extraordinary. So, and a lot of social issues type stories. Generally, I'll be going out and doing some big epic four-hour interview where I sit down again talking about details. I go into these people's living rooms and I go... 
hey, would you mind if I hear every last detail about your life? And that's what I do. And I go, and, uh, and they proceed for the next hour, two hours, three hours. The longer, the better. The longer, the better. And they tell me their life story. And, and all the while, I've got my recorder on and I've got a notepad beside me. I'm not taking notes. I'm not taking shorthand. I'm, 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 I'm writing about all of the things, the objects that are on their walls. It feeds back to that great first question you asked. I do the same thing, man, with every person I've ever interviewed. Character and human nature is so better expressed, not through the words we say, but the things we keep dear to us. And that's a very important thing to remember as a journalist, but also as a writer. And so I would be writing about, why have they framed that person's picture? Why do they keep that model car on the on the mantelpiece why do they why do they have that poster why do they put a bird on there and i'll sometimes ask him like what is that crow why, why, why have you got a crow on your wall oh okay i'll tell you about the crow and it's like bang it's like it's it's just character right that and then that feed has always fed back into my sort of more creative kind of writing and like you know so it's it's a really cool thing and let me just quickly when you're so working as a, as, as a journalist you're mm. writing long form stories yeah just really niche and quite nerdy. How, how <laughs> I many, love niche and nerdy. Are you, go are there, you, go are there. You, are you writing one a week? Or are you thinking more long term? Maybe you'll be writing one, but you've also got the plannings of four more articles on the go. Yeah, bang. Well said. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do a, I'll do a, let's say, I don't know, great British novelist has come to Australia and my editor wants me to write a, a profile on them. I can write that in about a week. But at the same time, the last story, for example, the last story I've, I've, I've written is a story about a place called Groot Island, and it's a, a tiny island on the very north of Australia, and uh, and there's an indigenous population there, and there there's about 1,100 people on that island, and 186 of them suffer this disease called MJD, Mikado Joseph disease. So, so I'll fly up, you know, this will be a bigger piece, so this might take you a month or so, right? So I find out about Mikado MJD. And I go up there and I'm, I meet this guy Buckler and he takes me into the bush, you know, he takes me into the wilderness and we're looking, you know, and we're looking for, th- for um, fish and toxins and insects in the Australian wild that he believes are like black magic, like stuff that is going to cure his own disease. So that's my day, you know, it's pretty freaking cool day job that I go. So, so, but, but talk about sort of, but in practical sense, that will be, okay, I'll, I'll spend, I spent about three days doing that, getting, getting the story, right? Going to Groot Island. It's a real mix, but you're always wanting to have multiple things on the go. So that's just, you know, and that, that's, that's my sort of day job. I'll knock off from that. I'm useless. I don't offer anyone anything after 4 p.m. Um, I just so I don't even try and force myself to work if I'm past even maybe even 3 p.m. But I'm, it sounds all consuming. It sounds like when you are in the office or when you're you know flying up to islands to yeah, check yeah. out strange disorders and diseases. Yeah, uh, you're focused on that, which then leads me to wonder: mm. at four o'clock when you do knock mm. off, mm. how easy is it for you to switch on to creative writing oh, modes? Oh, oh, I mean. There was one year, and it was 2017, and uh, and when I was juggling this really consuming, all-consuming day job as a long-form magazine journalist, and I and I still do it. I've been doing it for the you know forever. I'm a journo for 20 years, but that time when I was writing Boy Swallows Universe, I would come back, then I'd I'd drive in, you know, wrap my arms around my daughters and try and spend as much time with them as I could. Um, whilst not thinking about this story, helping them with their homework and then helping my wife with dinner. She works as well. And, uh, you know, it's total madness. And then, and then, you know, this was the, this precious time. There's about this eight till 10 sort of at night time that my wife and I had that was just to us. And 
I would say to her after putting the kids to bed and really sort of just being present with them, which is a massive important thing because I have this theory, right? Like you imagine, okay, you you get to go to London. I'm this Brisbane guy gets to go to London and, you know, and, and, uh, and you know, all these fantastic things have happened in Australia to my book. But how horrible if my kids look back and go, dad was totally never around. And, you know, like what an awful thing. Like nothing. is. There was this definitive moment I remember I was writing Boy Swallows Universe and my daughter Sylvie was dead set, man. Like there's a window in front of where I write and she was skipping. She's skipping. And it was such a symbol of ambition versus what you're actually really here for. The only thing I'm here to do, man, I swear to God, is to be a dad to those beautiful girls. And... Second thing just behind that was to write Boy Swallows Universe. You know what I mean? It's like it's like that and but that thing about being a dad to them, in that moment I was going, damn, no matter what happened to that book, is it as important as me going out and playing and skipping with her? You know what I mean? Is that so what value do you put on not doing that with her? And that's a fascinating thing I'm sure all writers go through. But um I would say to my wife at around eight PM after dinner, we're watching telly, right? And it's like, you know, you know dodgy australian reality tv show let's call it you know take your pick married at first sight um and you're sitting down and you're watching this mindless stuff because your life's so insane and it's so easy to be ensnared by that and to just go look i do just need to switch my brain off but in that year i did manage to just every freaking night just go darling Fiona, I love you so much and I want to be here with you watching the block like I would love nothing more, but I do need to go downstairs to that bloody rumpus room, slip on the the kind of metaphorical Dunlop volleys. Do you have Dunlop volleys here? No, I, I kind of understand. So you, we're talking sports trainers. Dunlop volley is a kind of iconic shoe in Australia that um, our best tennis players, Rod Laver, John Newcomb, mm war in the 70s and it's yeah basically made by dunlop tires so it, was, it means i'm getting to work i'm going to work on. i'm putting them on but also the kid in my book wears dunlop volleys oh, okay. right so i'm literally sort of going into that space and i actually wear dunlop volleys as as an adult i love the shoe most practical shoe you could ever and they cost about 20 bucks from kmart so i would just say to her like i'm sorry i'm so sorry if you can just let me do this and it became really stressful like it's really tough on her because it's like and at that time man i don't know it's gonna go anywhere it's such a chancy thing you're sort of just going and she's like like every book that everyone writes in australia goes nowhere you know that's how it works it's sort of like and i'm and i'm saying to her but i would say like an idiot man i'd say every now and then i go but fee what what if what if it got published and you know it might it might even make some money for us and it might actually be all worthwhile. And we're like laughing and just going, yeah, right, as if. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Remember, if you've got a writing tip which has really helped you get your story down, something that helps you work through the day, a little trick maybe, a little tip that you heard uh, that you just want to pass on to us. It could be something tiny that just gets you going. It helps you get your ideas from your head down onto the page. Tell me and I'll share it with the writing community that we've got here. Uh, All you need to do is let me know what it is over at writersroutine.com and it could be anything. It doesn't matter at what stage of writing you are. You could have just started or you could be one of the most famous crime writers around. This is Jeffrey Deaver. I'm the author of uh, The Never Game by HarperCollins and it is uh, available now. My tip for writing is this. Plan out what you're going to write ahead of time. Remember that rejection is a speed bump. It's not a brick wall. Keep on writing and write every single book as if it were your last. If you missed Jeffrey Diva last week on the show, uh, loads of golden nuggets of help there. Make sure you catch up. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your shows from. The full episode is there for you to find as well at writersroutine.com. And that is a place you need to go to let me know your writing tip. Right, let's get back into it with Trent Dalton then, the author of Boy Swallows Universe, uh, one of the biggest books to come out of Australia in some time. I think it won the Debut Fiction Award at the Australian Indies, also the Book of the Year. It sold over 100,000 copies. And in this half, we talk about editing and why for him that's one of the most important parts of writing and with editing comes writing concisely it comes with the snappiness of his words we chat about that as well and why he thinks the best stories are always as tight as they could possibly be and we pick things up talking about the big trips that he has to do on a journalist remember this earlier on he was saying that he needed to fly up to some island off the coast of australia um, and look at some really rare disease and talk to the people that live there well we kind of chat now about what he has to do when he's uncovering those big stories for journalism and how he fits telling his own story around that. All through that crazy stuff, on the drive, to, on, the, on the flight to Groot Island or on the, on the drive to the person's living room that I'm going to go in, I'm still thinking about that story. And it literally is break it down into, I reckon in two hours I've got 2,000 words. I reckon I've got 2,000 words, maybe 1,000 even, that'll do. But but I need to know I need to not be dicking around by the time I need to make sure in that two hours I know exactly that next passage. And in my in my my book it was this kid Eli Bell who's he's on an odyssey, you know, and it's a great. I just love any odyssey, so I love. It was a matter of what is he doing next, and and how important, and what also is the first layer, second layer, third layer. Does it does it have every one of those three elements that I want to put into this piece? Does it still talk about? The, the thing that I'm getting at, the, the, the mysteries, the, but also the bigger picture things that I was trying to talk about. I'm trying to talk about in this book big things about how, the ways in which a kid can find love wherever he can get it. And I'm talking about the ways that bad can become good again and, and the ways in which it's the bad stuff in life that can sometimes be the good stuff. And the, and the bad shit won't be our destruction. It will actually be the making of us. And it's like, but is that little 1,000 words still going to somehow tap into that? And is, is that going to help Eli discover those things along the way? So you're thinking about that eating wheat bix You're thinking about that in the Toyota Corolla. So when it comes time, as you say, you flip open that thing and I would do that thing about, I'd think about my daughters, the life I could have led. My book's really kind of 
you know, it's about 50% fact and 50% total my wild ima- imagination just going nuts and having fun and really enjoying itself. But um, I would think about that, that crazy life I could have led and how dangerous and certain things that happened in my life could have been. Then you get that jolt of electricity that that jolt of electricity that um, that kind of gets you in the zone, and then but you already know what you want to write, and then what I would do though that's why my book doesn't read like Hemingway, man. It is just heart and soul. It's just like what I would do. I swear to God, was how freaking honest can I be, and how and don't let don't let great um, marvelous like wordy flowery writing getting in the way of your heart you know it's like man you need to tap into the source of yourself and just and i just man i just soul coughed i soul coughed i was just like like rip out my heart and feed it to anyone that's what i did with that book i swear to god it was just like so don't get bothered about oh does that sentence read well can i swear on this like yeah yeah, you have many times (laughs) so fuck who cares about if it reads you know what i mean you're telling a story, man. You're a storyteller. It's like, is it a good story? You know, fuck all. Like, it's, seriously, I, I get so, you know, I just like, man, the best writers for me are just the guys who, yeah, I love it when the words are beautiful too. I love it. That's brilliant. If you can get both, fantastic. But this one, mate, it was just like, it will be powerful and poetic in itself because people will realize how true it is. You know, well, like true in the sense of life has to be true, not just honest true, you know? Well, let me slightly unpack that for a sec then because... You know, this is literary fiction. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and you've said that you know you don't, uh, you know, I don't care about the words. I don't care how it reads. I don't care if it's poetic. <laughs> but the thing is, is it comes across like you do care. Oh, really? So, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did 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 you pick that up in the edit? Then <laughs> we, we often on the show, um, a lot of writers have talked about the vomit draft, which is just your first draft. <laughs> just get it all out there. Get those words on the page. Then you can really? always fix it later. Yeah, yeah. It, it, how much? Would you <laughs> go, go along with the idea? If you're not caring about how it reads when you get them down, mm. are you fixing that in the edit? Okay, good point. One other thing I do, I've, I've got it. I would email. I would email myself the manuscript every time, every time. So, again, when I've got my free time or something, I might flip open that 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 ongoing draft. And it's literally on my phone and I'm scrolling down. I keep working. I need to work on better tools. I swear to God. Yeah. Surface Pro was ridiculous. It was so like dysfunctional it just would always freeze it was horrible writing that thing but i'm all i am going back through that last 1000 words you're right and i do i do care about eventually you know what i mean i do it's it's i care about it tomorrow man to be honest that's such an insightful thing you've said because i you know whilst i'm trying to be all brave and kind of when i'm sitting down there and like i don't care about the results it's like i need to get this out and i kind of did like i mean it's quite a cathartic kind of old story i did i had to unpack a lot of rocks i was carrying around man like you got to understand but it's like but like so i put great value on the on the getting it out but yeah the next day was when i was like oh actually what was that nonsense i'm telling you the things i cut were highly ambitious sort of things that i probably i didn't necessarily change too much but i'd probably just go delete 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 you know what i mean let's leave that but it was a writing style that i never get to indulge in 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 my non-fiction you know it was a writing style that i could go you know this is how i love to kind of imagine the world and this is how i want to write about the world in in and it was kind of poetic and it was kind of i I did write a lot of poetry back in the day really really bad stuff that would be vomit it was like vomit poetry (laughs) i probably vomited all my did all my vomiting you know in the kind of early 2000s as a 20 year old and it was like but yeah so i guess that's it it's that thing on the phone where you're going and, I, and, you know, it works in reverse, though, too, man. Like, you, you, you don't even know what you did. So, by the time... So, I would write from 8 till 10 and and then I'd just, like, 
it's like okay i'm done i'm falling asleep like i'd write 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 and i'm done you know and it would only always happen around 10 p.m and so by the time you do wake up and you're having the wee bix or you're at work and you're grabbing the coffee right you're literally waiting for the coffee to be made and then you pull up your manuscript and your, your last 1000 words last 2000 words and sometimes you'd have this feeling go holy shit, that was, that was pretty cool. Like, that's a really interesting thing you're playing with there. And that was a really cool way of saying it. And like, yeah, go with that. I'm such a confidence player, man. Like, I need, I need to feel like in myself that, that this is going really good places. And I, and I need, like, if, if someone shatters my kind of confidence, I'm just like, oh, I'll crumble. And the whole house of cards that is my internal freaking psyche, that who I am, my heart, I'm talking about this thin glass heart i have inside me will shatter into tiny pieces and i'll stop writing welcome to being a published author i think (laughs) the title of my book boy swallows universe it's straight from firstly it's the idea that look swallow it all you know life is here to be just eaten up you and so take the good stuff and the bad stuff and just own it all it's really about that but also that title is a three-word headline and that's the first thing you learn in a journal and that's the first rule I broke 20 years ago is keep your stories contained. The best stories can be summed up in three words. How would you sum up your own life? That, that's what Eli Bell's always talking about in the book. It's like, can you sum up your life in three words? And that's how he comes... He, he ends up with... Boy how would you sum universe. up your life in three words? Uh, Trent, London visit. Right now. Because that's, <laughs> that's all I'm thinking about. Now, let's go better than that. Trent loves Fiona. That's oh, it. That's I so tell you sweet. that. That's cheesy, Mine man. But that's a fact. Um, What's yours, man? Uh, podcasts, little money. <laughs> probably, podcasts for free. <laughs> it's probably something I'm like that. I'm just tapping you on the knee there, man. I love that. I know because these things do define. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's yeah. like, how does my life feel right now? And you know, yeah, you could easily sum it up like that. I love that. But but Eli Bell, that's this point that he reaches it's like boy swallows universe and it's like yeah you're the best stories the the biggest stories you know man conquers moon hitler invades poland it's like the biggest can be summed up in three words and you should be able to sum your life up in three words if you thought about it you know because that would mean that you've led a big and grand life you know and and it's sort of i loved that notion but like me in real life and like Eli Bell in my book, he, he sort of goes on this massive journey. It's got this, this sort of Dickensian thing in my book where the things are planted in the first sort of, you know, 50 pages of my book that come back 400 pages later. And the kid has this pretty long arc of, of a journey. And, you know, like me, he kind of, he becomes this journo. And just like me, he's constantly told by the editors, you're writing too flowery. You're, you're, you need to be more concise. Like, what's the pub version of your story? You know, have you heard that? That's a journo thing. Like, tell me, tell me that story as if you're just telling me, at, you know, yeah. that story in the bar. And that's a really powerful thing. But that is a thing I just am physically incapable of doing because my storyteller comes in. So I'll, I, I, and I'm a shocking news writer on my paper. It's like people don't come to me to write like something major has happened let's go to dalton like Dal- hey dalton quickly we need 500 words in 20 seconds you know 20 minutes i'm the guy you go to it's like hey trent actually this big thing has happened can you write a piece about what that felt like and what it feels like and like that's me i can do that you know and i'm i'm, I'm really love doing that but for that i do need a few words i need 2000 words you know and sort of it's sort of that is that's how i write but the kid is constantly trying to kid Eli Bell is constantly trying to get away from that and go, God, stop, stop being so emotional, stop crying, stop 
But that's just me. And at a certain point, I've just owned that and gone, shit, I am that guy. I am the guy who freaking cries when I interview someone for four hours. And then sometimes I freaking cried when I'm writing my journalism, you know, and that's when I know the story's working, you know. So it's like just feel it and just feel it all. And that's the big thing, you know. Yeah. This book has... Uh, congratulations has got quite some success i mean oh, thanks, um, thank but you. book of the yeah. year over in australia yeah 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 uh, it's the indie book awards book of the year which is kind of a thing like um it's it's judged by the independent booksellers all across australia and they yeah. go they go hey we think this is book of the year yeah so it's a really cool and it was amazing sold you know 100,000 copies which is just astronomical <laughs> and you, you you were speaking earlier on about you with your wife yeah. laughing think look i know i've got to take this time away from you but oh. whatever gets published yeah um, yeah and it's it's not just uh, being successful commercially, but as I say, critically, as literary fiction. Mm. What do you think it is about this that is that is captured a moment, that is captured an imagination, that is selling well? And then, to expand on that, when was the moment for you that you realised, actually, this could do something? <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, you're so great. I love this. Um, It's such a great question. It's It's... You know when it was for me where... Because I sent it... I sent it off to Catherine Milne, who's the head of fiction of HarperCollins in Australia. And she'd sort of come up to... She'd read my journalism. She'd sort of said, look, I think you've got a book in you. And, and then I... See, the thing is, I then told her, right? Okay, Catherine, here's the deal. There was a period in my life where I was raised by drug dealers. And, um, and once my brothers and I found a secret room. I kid you not, this is no shit. This is like, it sounds ridiculous. But we found a secret room beneath this guy's house that my mum had fallen in love with. And he was kind of the, a father figure in my life that I love dearly and still do. And am very extremely grateful to this man for a lot of the things he's given me. We found a, a secret room and inside that secret room, which was basically a safe room for him in case he was ever in a jam, we'd find out later. There was one thing in that room and it was a red telephone, an old 1980s red telephone. And that's a profound kind of life-changing moment for me because it's the birth of imagination and the birth of almost the time I become a writer because you suddenly realize nothing is as it seems and there are other universes in this world. And the interesting thing about um, that is that I told her this and then she goes, you got to write this stuff, but I still don't know where it's going to go. It's quite ambitious, this thing I wrote. You know, It was an all-or-nothing pursuit because, look, I was reasonably okay with just, okay, if you don't like it, that's fine. I need to get it out anyway. So I'm, if I am going to get it out, I'm going to freaking do uh, go as big. You know, I'm going to go for the fence. And then I sent it off. And then there's this quiet period while she's sort of just consuming it. Then I'm at a, at a little sushi train with my daughters, Beth and Sylvie, and I get this email, man, and she's writing from the bus, and she's just finished the book, like finished, literally finished the last page, and she's just freaking losing her mind. It's, it's, it's one of the best emails I've possibly ever received. I've received a really great email from Clive James once. That's right up there. But that was an amazing email, and, uh, and, and, it, and that's when I went, oh, my God. And that was almost like, what the fuck have I done? Because... It's very deep, man, this thing I've done. And my beautiful family who read that, who, who would read it, would totally recognize, one, themselves, situations, things. So then you're suddenly like, oh, my God, almost like my dreams have come true. But, like, careful what you wish for, man. It's like because then I had to go quickly, like, all right, 
mom, firstly, you, you have to read this thing I've done. I'm sorry you didn't raise a carpenter. I could have built you a cupboard, but I wrote you a bloody book. And it is. It's a 470-page tribute to this warrior of a human being who is my mom. I'll, you know, we don't have time to go into why she is that, but I tell you, man. And then I sent it to her. I said, look, you need to read this because of just what I said before. Is like I'm never, ever in my life ever going to do something where my own ambition and my own kind of, you know, ego gets in the way of relationships with the people I love and that's a really dicey thing I'm already trending a fine knife edge line with that and it really bothers me and I lose sleep at night to be honest with you about that but she reads it I swear to god man she said Trent I had to t- I, re- I started reading it last night I had to take a day off work and she said Trent it's beautiful and it's bigger than us and I think you're going to actually give something to a lot of people and I was like, oh, man, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. It was so beautiful. And then my brothers, I had to, I've got three older brothers. I'm like, guys, you need to do it now. You need to read this. And then they are all like, Trent, what the hell have you done? And it's like so cool. And so that's a win right there, man. That was amazing. Then, then Catherine Milne, I'm like at, I was at work. I was doing a job. I was doing a job. Catherine Milne, head of fiction at HarperCollins Australia, calls up and says, Trent, guess what? We're selling this freaking thing to 32 countries around the world. It's going to be freaking translated into Hebrew. There's going to be like things about your little suburb, Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. Words like Dara and Brackenridge and uh, and you know Jackie Howe singlet and and medium pace bowling and you know you know mullet gut, mullet gut, fishing mullet gut. You know Hornybrook Bridge, light up a durry. You know, all of this stuff is going to be translated into all these different languages. And this whole, this story about this place that is dear to me, Brisbane, and my life is all just going to go around the world and people might even read about it. You know, it's so, man, that, so there's been all those little milestone moments and they've all been wild. Every single one of them. The first email from Catherine, mum's call, my brother's, then this global stuff. Sitting here talking to you. You know what I mean? I seriously mean that. It's freaking beautiful. I'm so grateful because I know what else I could have been doing. You know, it's very, very meaningful to me. And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much for giving us a listen. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, uh, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if that's how you are listening to the show. Um, Also, make sure you subscribe wherever you're finding us. Oh, if you're not on Apple Podcasts, actually, here's something you could do. Just tweet about the show. We've had a couple of really nice blog reviews written about the show recently thank you so much if you took the time uh, to write down some words about what we do and, and share it with all of your mates everyone in your writing community i'd love more of that i'd love just to hear what you think about the show you can do that on apple Podcasts, or you can do it via tweet now next week uh, we're chatting to a psychological thriller writer uh, someone who's really mastered the genre and really mastered the art of selling an ebook that's on the way next week on Writer's Routine. Until then, keep in touch with us through Twitter. We are Writer's Pod there. On Instagram, we are Writer's Routine. And you can find everything about the show on our website, which is writersroutine.com. I will see you next week with Mel Sherritt on Writer's Routine. Bye. <laughs>